Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey guys, I need to tell you about a podcast we love, Crime Salad. With the ultimate goal of preventing future tragedies, hosts Ashley and Ricky, a husband and wife duo whom we love, make you feel like you're walking through the investigation and court process. At the end of the day, they're a podcast with a purpose, which is to raise awareness about topics like relationship violence and domestic abuse by shining a spotlight on the ongoing challenges that plague our society. Grab your headphones and listen to Crime Salad's listener favorite, The Murder of Brenda Powell. It's a story of a devoted mother whose compassion and support lifted the hearts of many of her patients and families during her time as a child life specialist at Akron's Children's Hospital. She was the type of mom who would do anything to make sure her kids had the best opportunities in life. However, when some secrets were exposed within the family unit, someone took Brenda's life. I would give you the spoiler, but this case is full of so many twists and turns, and it's an episode that you guys definitely need to check out. Crime Salad is a true crime podcast that provides immersive listening experiences with captivating, well-written true crime stories. Be sure to check out their show wherever you're listening now. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Oakville, Washington. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Eric and Jamie Joe Hiles were high school sweethearts, and they were the kind that lasted. They started dating when they were only 16 years old and knew within two weeks that they'd both found their person. They got married four years later when they were just 20 years old. But when you know, you know. As a newly married couple, the two went to college and both started their dream careers as high school teachers. They both loved kids, so it's no surprise that they wanted a family of their own. Frankly, they wanted an entire basketball team of children, but they tried and tried to get pregnant and nothing worked. Infertility is a kind of heartache that I don't think you can describe unless you've experienced it. But after years of trying, Eric and Jamie Joe were emotionally exhausted and decided to put their plans of having a family on hold. To their surprise, though, at the end of July 2017, Jamie Joe got a text from a former student asking if she and Eric would be willing to foster a seven-month-old baby girl named Oakley. The student explained to Jamie Joe that Oakley and her siblings had recently been placed into foster care after drugs had been found in their parents' home. 
The student personally knew one of Oakley's grandparents and was trying to make sure the baby went to a great home. The former student was more than positive that the Hiles would love little Oakley as if she were their own. According to NW News, Eric and Jamie Joe didn't hesitate for a second when they agreed to take Oakley in, in part because they were under the impression that they might be able to eventually adopt her. The Hiles were overjoyed to be able to finally bring a child into their home and couldn't wait to shower her with all of the love in the world. Oakley Lynn Carlson was born on December 6, 2016, to her mother, Jordan Bowers, and her father, Andrew Carlson. Law and Crime reported that Jordan and Andrew each had one child from a previous relationship, Andrew had a daughter, and Jordan had a son. After Jordan and Andrew got together, they had three children of their own. Their first, a daughter who was born in 2015, we'll call her Abby. Then came Oakley a year later in 2016, and lastly, a son who we'll call Aaron. And that was three years after that in 2019. That brings their total number of children to five. It's unclear what Jordan did for a living since she was often unemployed. However, we do know that Andrew was a former police officer. In 2012, he graduated the Basic Academy and became an officer with the Aberdeen Police Department. According to court documents, five years later, in February of 2017, Andrew was caught making false-slash-misleading statements and his peace officer certification was revoked. After losing his job on the police force, Andrew, just like his girlfriend Jordan, would often have bouts of unemployment. At some point, according to court documents, Andrew and Jordan started using drugs, namely methamphetamine. In July of 2017, just five months after Andrew lost his job, he and Jordan's children were removed from their custody after drugs were found in the home. The three children they had together, Abby, Oakley, and Aaron, were put into foster care, while the older two stayed with their remaining biological parents. That adds up to zero children now in their care. On September 22, 2017, 10-month-old Oakley Carlson officially went to stay with Eric and Jamie Joe Hiles. She wound up staying with them for more than two years until she was almost three years old. During that period, the Hiles became Oakley's parents. Jamie Joe was her mom and Eric was her dad. Jamie Joe told Paramount Plus's Never Seen Again, it felt like kismet, like we were meant to be a family together. They loved watching their little baby girl grow into the sweetest, most loving toddler. While it feels like it's impossible to summarize exactly who someone is in just a few paragraphs, Jamie Jo did it perfectly on the website Justice for Oakley, saying, Oakley was someone who did not know a stranger. She always had a smile on her face and she was kind. She loved to make people laugh, so when she knew how to make you smile, she would always remember that and try to do it again. She liked to tell jokes and would often follow up a joke with Waka Waka, just like Fozzie Bear from The Muppets. For being only almost three years old, she was incredibly smart. She spoke in almost complete sentences, demonstrated empathy, and questioned things that did not make sense to her. My favorite example of this is when she first watched the movie Wally, and Oakley realized that Wally was lonely and did not have friends. Tears welled up in her eyes, and she asked why he did not have any friends. She then rejoiced when Eve showed up later in the movie, and suddenly Wally was not lonely anymore. 
Oakley loved to dance, and it was quite frequently that we would have dance parties in the living room for her to groove to. She admired my dance team and would always ask for me to play their songs from practice so that she too could dance like them. I bet you we have played Barbara Ann by the Beach Boys at least 1,000 times. Oakley also loved to read and be read too. It was never just one book at a time, but at least four or sometimes five. It was not uncommon to find her asleep in her bed with books as well, or all around her in the morning. Her favorite books included Brown Bear, Brown Bear, What Do You See?, I've Loved You Since Forever, Night Night Little Pookie, and I Love You Blankie. She continues on saying, Lastly, Oakley loved to show you that she loved you. I have countless photos of her hugging my family and friends, and she always made sure to tell you that she loved you. She loved to hug, snuggle, and just touch you. Many times we would be on the couch together, her little foot would be touching my side just because she wanted to be touching me. Her love radiated out of her, and she always let it show. Oakley was the biggest blessing to my my husband, our families, and our friends. Many times, Eric and I would ask each other how we got so lucky having her because she was so happy all the time and she was just an all-around good kid. When you see the photos and videos of Oakley, that's genuinely how she was with us all the time. Just happy, polite, and loved. This podcast is sponsored by Caden Lane. Hey guys, I'm obsessed with my kids and my nieces and my nephews. They are so much cooler than I was at their age and dressing them up in adorable outfits has become an actual pastime of mine. Frankly, I do the same things for like literally everyone, my friends, kids, everyone. I'm constantly perusing new sites for adorable outfits, but it can be kind of hard because you never really know what kind of quality you're going to be getting. That is until I found Caden Lane. Caden Lane started back in 2005 by a single mom, we love you, who wanted to create better and cuter clothes, accessories, and keepsakes for her own children and for those special moments you remember forever. Seriously, if you're looking for cute photography outfits, look no further. Looking for the perfect matching set for your family? Check out Caden Lane's famous matching pajama sets so the whole family can look their best this holiday season. For the younger littles, check out Caden Lane's convertible zip rompers. These double zip rompers make diaper changes quick and easy. It's amazing. And they're made from breathable, buttery, soft bamboo. You can even fold the sleeves and feet over for built-in mitts and footies. For moms with older kids like me, check out their Color Me pajama sets, which are basically a coloring book your kids can wear to bed. They come with machine washable markers and will keep your kids entertained for hours. You can also personalize a wide range of their products, whether it's a t-shirt, puzzle, blanket, or even a swaddle, so baby and mom can be the trendiest moms in the nursery. You see these brands that go viral and wonder if they're worth the hype, and I can personally attest that Caden Lane is. They have over 70,000 five-star reviews for a reason. My introduction to Caden Lane was actually me trying to find a quality water bottle that my kids couldn't lose at school. Caden Lane had these adorable water bottles that you could customize in a bunch of different ways with the kids' names. They're so cute, and I posted them on social media a couple of months ago, so for everyone who asked where I got them, I think I got back to everyone, but they were 100% from Caden Lane. And we did the whole tossing it around thing to see if it would leak in their backpacks or whatever else the school day has in store, and that thing was amazing. I kept scrolling their site because the cute felt like it would never end, and there is literally nowhere else I will ever buy baby shower gifts from 
from, I don't think I can accurately describe the amount of adorable, giftable baby stuff that Caden Lane has. So there's my holiday hack for everyone who's still wondering where to go for gifts this holiday season. Caden Lane is amazing. And if I didn't already love Caden Lane enough, they're giving back in a big way this year. Through their Conceive Fertility Foundation, they make donations to help families struggling with infertility afford the medical help they need. Caden Lane is your one-stop shop for all your newborn, infant, and toddler apparel. Head to cadenlane.com slash bigmad and use code bigmad for 20% off your order. Once again, that's C-A-D-E-N-L-A-N-E dot com backslash bigmad for 20% off and make sure you use my promo code bigmad so they know I sent you. It goes without saying that Jamie Jo and Eric undoubtedly loved Oakley like she was their own biological child. And Oakley loved them back. She called them mom and dad. And if you watch the videos of the Hiles family interacting or look at photos, you would never guess that they weren't blood related. On the website Justice for Oakley, there are countless pictures of them together, like one of Oakley and her cute little pigtails sitting on Eric's shoulder and one with Jamie Jo and Oakley smiling at the beach. There's a video of Oakley so excited excited about her Mary Poppins Halloween costume, umbrella and all, and another where Oakley walks in the house so excited to give her mama a rock she found. When Oakley got to the top of the stairs, Jamie Jo thanked her baby doodle for the present. They were the perfect family. By July of 2018, the Hiles were so in love with their baby girl that a plan was put in place for them to officially adopt her. It was the best thing for Oakley since her biological parents, Andrew and Jordan, weren't in a place to get their children back. It wasn't safe for Oakley or her siblings to be with Andrew and Jordan for anything other than supervised visits. According to Justice for Oakley, Andrew had recently been booked for assault after he attacked Jordan. Ultimately, he was ordered by the court to undergo a domestic violence evaluation and successfully complete a domestic violence treatment program. If Andrew was able to do those things, the assault charges would be dismissed. It seemed like the judge was trying to give him a second chance, and at first, Andrew followed the judge's orders, but quickly fell off. We'll come back around to that in just a minute. On March 7, 2019, roughly nine months after a plan was put in place for the Hiles to adopt Oakley, she had a two-hour supervised visit with Andrew and Jordan. When Oakley came home to the Hiles, she had red marks slash scratches on her cheeks. There are actually photos of these marks, and they're pretty significant. They didn't break the skin, but you'd have to scratch pretty hard to leave marks like the ones that she came home with. I'm trying to find a way to convey what they look like over a podcast, and I'll post the photo in her case highlight on Instagram, but if Oakley walked past you on the street, you would have noticed the scratches on her face. Jamie Jo asked the visit supervisor, Brenda, what happened, but Brenda said that she didn't know where the marks came from. Justice for Oakley reports that Jamie Jo then emailed Oakley's DCYF, Department of Children, Youth, and Families, caseworker Angela, about the marks on Oakley's cheeks. The following day, Angela responded to Jamie Jo's email with, I'm on vacation next week. We can schedule the health and safety for the first week I'm back. She didn't mention anything about the red marks, and according to Light the Way Advocacy Group, no cause for the red marks was ever determined. 
Two months later, on May 13th of 2019, the Domestic Violence Treatment Program Andrew was enrolled in wrote a letter to DCYF to notify them of Andrew's failure to attend group sessions. And he didn't just miss one, he'd missed them for the last six weeks. Because of that, he was discharged from the program, and since he didn't hold up his end of the bargain, the prosecuting attorney asked that the judge find Andrew guilty. A series of follow-up hearings in the case were scheduled for July through September. According to Justice for Oakley, in July of 2019, the same month those follow-up hearings were supposed to be scheduled because he didn't complete the domestic violence treatment program, the Hiles were notified that Oakley was most likely going back to her biological parents in the near future. Let's reiterate that Andrew couldn't even be bothered to attend the domestic violence treatment program gifted to him in order to get his assault charge dismissed. And within one single month of being kicked out of that program and the prosecuting attorney asking the judge to find him guilty, there were plans being made for Oakley to return to Andrew and Jordan's care. Jamie, Joe, and Eric were rightfully devastated because for the last year, they had been under the impression that they were going to adopt Oakley. Now they had to return her to her quote-unquote parents? According to court documents, there were concerns that both Andrew and Jordan were still using drugs in the home. But for whatever reason, DCYF thought it was okay to send Oakley back there. It didn't make any sense, and the Hiles were terrified for the future of their baby girl. For two months, the Hiles didn't hear anything else from DCYF. Then, in September of 2019, for reasons unknown, the assault charges against Andrew were dropped, even though he did not complete the program. That same month, Oakley's supervised visits with her parents increased. About a month later, on October 11th, the Hiles had a meeting at the DCYF office with Angela and her supervisor, Catherine. It was to discuss their concerns about returning Oakley to her biological parents so quickly. According to the Justice for Oakley website, the Hiles were told, she isn't your daughter. When they asked about neither biological parent being employed, they were told being poor isn't a reason for someone to not have their children. Once again, it felt like the Hiles' very valid concerns about Oakley were being dismissed. Eight days later, on October 19th, Oakley had her first unsupervised visit with Jordan and Andrew. A week later, she had another visit, and that time, she came home and told the Hiles something that validated every concern they had. Oakley told them that she had seen Jordan hit Andrew. At that point, there was now an account of each biological parent being violent toward the other. There's actually a video of Oakley recounting what happened, and she described Andrew as being mean like Rar, and that Jordan pushed him really hard. She acted it out as she said it, and of course, I'll post the video of her relaying all of this in her highlight so that you can watch it yourself. According to Justice for Oakley, after hearing Oakley say this, Jamie Jo emailed caseworker Angela and was told there are no concerns and that Oakley loved her mom and dad. Let's be really clear here, though. Jordan and Andrew may have been Oakley's biological parents, but they were in no way her mom and dad. And regardless of a child reportedly loving someone, it will never justify that child having to witness them be violent towards one another. 
Less than two weeks later, on November 6th, a month before Oakley's third birthday, Jamie Jo emailed Angela and her supervisor, Catherine, to say that she'd heard overnight visits were about to start in a few days. Jamie Jo was naturally concerned since the domestic violence incident between Jordan and Andrew had happened so recently. She also shared her concern that things were moving way too quickly. Angela responded by letting Jamie Jo know that Oakley would be reunifying with her bi- biological parents even earlier than expected. Earlier. Sooner. Faster. With all of this going on, they were speeding up the process of removing this almost three-year-old girl from the only mom and dad she had ever known and putting her back into the care of the man who was booted from the police department, who was charged with assaulting his wife and whose wife, according to Oakley, had assaulted him in front of her. Angela gave her a new date of November 29th. That was only 23 days later. Jamie, Joe, and Eric had been raising Oakley for the past 26 months, and they were only given a 23-day notice that their baby girl would be going back to her biological parents where violence and drug use were still very real concerns. Hey guys, this holiday season, I want to give a gift to my loved ones that makes them feel as special and unique as our relationships are. That's why I'm giving everyone I care about StoryWorth. StoryWorth is an online service that helps you and your loved ones preserve precious memories and stories for years to come. It's a thoughtful and meaningful gift that connects you to those who matter most. Every week, StoryWorth emails your relative or friend a thought-provoking question of your choice from their vast pool of possible options. Each unique prompt asks questions you've never thought to ask, like, what's the bravest thing you've ever done in your life? Or if you could see into the future, what would you want to find out? I remember them asking my dad who his favorite teacher was, and his response was so amazing and adorable that I actually went out and found that teacher. After one year, StoryWorth will compile all of your loved ones' stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. I did this with my dad, and I love this book so much. The quality is amazing, but that's just a bonus. I know my parents aren't going to be here forever, and I want to make sure that their lives and stories aren't a game of telephone, that my kids and future grandkids can hear about all of these stories from the source, even if they're not here to tell them anymore. Reading the weekly stories helps you connect with loved ones no matter how near or far apart you are. I can't tell you how many times I'd be in my dad's inbox asking for way more details on the topic of the week. With StoryWorth, I'm giving those I love most a thoughtful, personal gift from the heart and preserving their memories and stories for years to come. Go to StoryWorth.com slash BigMad and save $10 on your first purchase. That's StoryWorth.com slash BigMad to save $10 on your first purchase. Saying they were speeding things up would be a massive understatement. Just three days after getting that news, on November 9th, Oakley had her first overnight visit at Jordan and Andrew's home. Justice for Oakley reports that on November 17th, Eric emailed caseworker Angela and supervisor Catherine to ask about Oakley's transition to her biological parents. He reiterated their concerns that the transition was happening so quickly, and he wanted to know why the transition date had been moved up so abruptly. 
Angela and Catherine never responded to Eric. On November 29th, a week before Oakley's third birthday, she was officially reunited with Jordan and Andrew. They were living in the middle of a massive 300-acre property near Oakville, Washington. Their other children were also allowed to return home, and I use that term loosely. When I tell you that this house was in the middle of absolutely nowhere, there are no words to convey that enough. I had to pinch the map several times just to zoom out enough to find another home, And of course, I'll add a photo of the property to her highlight so that you can see it for yourself. The Hiles spoke with Never Seen Again about what it was like to let their baby go, and their answer was that it was absolutely heartbreaking. Even before Oakley left on the 29th, Jamie, Joe, and Eric spent hours upon hours just crying. Of course, Oakley had no idea why, because she didn't quite understand what was going on. Eric said, I could feel my heart breaking. We knew this would be the last time we saw her because we knew her parents wouldn't let her see us. After Oakley left, the Hiles shut Oakley's bedroom door and didn't open it for six to seven months. Eric said, we had this hole that was just left in us. I think we really grieved as if it were a death. The Hiles were right in their assumption that Oakley wouldn't be allowed to see them. Jamie, Joe, and Eric didn't push the matter, but they didn't turn a blind eye either. In order to make sure Oakley was safe, they kind of kept tabs on Jordan and Andrew. If they were employed, if they were using drugs, if Oakley was being abused, and other things like that. Months later, in July of 2020, a custody hearing not related to Oakley was held. Documents from that hearing show that Jordan and Andrew had not completed their court-ordered services, and Jordan was not honest in her account of reporting domestic violence. In addition, it was brought up that CPS expressed concern about Jordan and Andrew meeting the needs of their daughter, Abby, Oakley's older sister, by one year. We don't know exactly what was going on with Abby medically, but we do know that authorities have said that medication is necessary for Abby's health and going without it puts her at risk of physical impairment, which could eventually result in death. I think it's safe to assume that she had a pretty serious health condition that required attentive parents. When discussing their concerns about Jordan and Andrew's inability to care for Abby, CPS specifically noted that they had failed to take Abby to an appointment at Marybridge Hospital, even though they'd been given a gas card to make sure they could make it. Despite all of this information, Jordan and Andrew were once again allowed to maintain custody of their children. On December 25th of 2020, four-year-old Oakley spent Christmas with her biological family at the home of her paternal grandparents, Fred and Kate Carlson. King 5 News reported that Kate later told police that Oakley didn't look well, that she had dark circles under her eyes, pale skin, and scratches or sores on her face. Kate actually called CPS after seeing Oakley, but never heard anything about it after that time. Apparently calling CPS made quote-unquote great waves within the family, and Andrew and Jordan cut off contact with Kate and Fred, and they never saw Oakley again. On January 26, 2021, Jamie Jo called DCYF to report her many, many concerns. One being that a friend of hers had forwarded her a picture taken by Grandma Kate during that Christmas trip. 
The photo showed Oakley with a possible black eye. She also mentioned hearing rumors that Andrew was fired from his job for drug use and said she was worried for Oakley's safety. According to the Justice for Oakley website, the intake worker spoke very sternly to Jamie Joe and let her know that since she didn't witness any incidents firsthand, he'd have to presume that her information was inaccurate. In fact, the site says that he told her she could get in trouble for making false reports. Jamie Joe told him that as a teacher, a mandated reporter, he needed to take her concerns seriously. The next day, January 27th, DCYF opened a case and a caseworker went to check on Oakley and her siblings. No one knows exactly what happened during that visit, but we do know that the caseworker was able to make contact with Oakley. On February 10th, CPS went out to the home again, and again, no one knows exactly what happened during the visit, but let it be known that this was the second visit by CPS in 14 days. According to the sheriff's office, that visit was the last credible sighting of Oakley. On March 24th, 2021, DCYF called Jamie Joe and asked if she had seen Oakley or her sister. And you've got to be fucking kidding me at this point. She shares all of her concerns with him over and over and it never seems to matter. And when no one can seem to find Oakley, they call her. The woman who wanted nothing more than for Oakley to be her forever child. Jamie Joe told them that she had not seen Oakley as she wasn't involved with the family. It's not like Jordan and Andrew were calling her for visitation. DCYF didn't tell her why they were calling, so she was just left to wonder what was going on with her baby girl. Within a few days, for reasons unknown, DCYF closed their case on four-year-old Oakley Carlson. Justice for Oakley reports that seven months later at 4.54 p.m. on November 6th, a month before Oakley's fifth birthday, Andrew called dispatch to report a fire on the second floor of the family home. Andrew said that the fire started around 10 a.m. that morning, almost seven hours earlier. He blamed the fire on Oakley, saying that she'd used a cigarette lighter to light the couch on fire. Andrew told dispatch that he didn't need any firefighters to respond because he'd already put the fire out. He just wanted to make a report for insurance purposes. According to a GoFundMe, and I quote, After evacuating their three children and puppy who were home, a puppy is the last thing these people need, Jordan and Andrew fought the fire themselves for hours. The house was completely dark with smoke and neither of them could locate their cell phones to call for help. And there were no close neighbors, so they grabbed hoses and attempted to save their home. No one was injured, but they lost the majority of their belongings in this fire. Any funds will go to replace the items they lost and to cover restoration of their upstairs. They have four children and one chihuahua puppy. So we started with three children in the beginning of this, then went up to four children. And I would love to know whether or not either of their phones suffered any damage in the fire and whether or not they showed any activity between 10 a.m. when Andrew said the fire started and 4.54 p.m. when he finally called to report that he and Jordan had fought the fire themselves. And I also want to come back to how in the middle of nowhere this house was, where it could be up in flames for hours without anyone noticing. But truth be told, there is a house about a half a mile away, which they could have walked to in eight minutes, which is a lot less than fighting a fire for seven hours alone. 
Jamie Joe told Never Seen Again that despite extensive damage to the home, the family continued living there for some time, which blows my mind because it was a soot-covered disaster. Everything was covered in a black haze, light bulbs looked like they'd melted into icicles from the ceiling fan, windows were cracked, the AC unit was melted, and there was crap everywhere. Jamie Joe emailed DCYF employees Angela and Catherine to inform them about the fire and the suspicious GoFundMe. She never received a response. This podcast is sponsored by Embrace Pet Insurance. Hey guys, point blank period, we do not deserve our pets. They're little floof angels who love us no matter what, and we must protect them at all costs. I mean, who else can chew on our shoes, and we still want to boop their snoot and give them all the snacks. When it comes to Mr. Winston, Princess Consuela Banana Hammock, Buddy, Trudy, Maya, and Puppy, my love knows no bounds, and I would do anything to make sure they live the happiest, healthiest life I can possibly provide, which is where our next sponsor comes in, Embrace Pet Insurance. It's time to upgrade your pet insurance game. Whether you have a dog or a cat, Embrace Pet Insurance offers customized plans for your pet's exact needs. Did you know that vet care prices have increased by 33% from 2022 to 2023? That's insane. With Embrace Pet Insurance, you can visit any vet or emergency clinic. And if you have multiple pets to insure, you're eligible for a 10% multi-pet discount. Plus, they have a 24-7 helpline and optional wellness rewards program to ensure you prioritize preventative care for your pet so you hopefully never even have to use Embrace in the first place. I know some people might think pet insurance is unnecessary or pricey, but pet insurance is more affordable compared to high emergency vet costs, and it gives peace of mind. I worked at a vet clinic when I was younger, and sometimes I would see those bills and hope to everything that they had pet insurance. I was browsing Embrace customer testimonials, and one wrote, Our dog came down with an illness and required a five-day hospital stay. The bill was significant to say the least. I had never had a claim before and was very certain that I would have difficulty with the process. I was wrong. The claims process was easy and payment was prompt and in agreement with the specifics of the insurance. We were very happy and also very relieved that part of this experience was covered and that our dog made a full recovery. Thank you, Embrace. Don't wait for the unexpected to happen. Join the massive community of pet owners who trust Embrace Pet Insurance to protect their pet. Head to EmbracePetInsurance.com slash BigMad and sign up for pet insurance today. Make sure you go to EmbracePetInsurance.com slash BigMad or else they won't know I sent you. That's EmbracePetInsurance.com slash BigMad. On November 10th, four days after the fire, Oakville Elementary School principal, Jessica, went to Oakley's home to bring the family some supplies needed after the fire, staying in the burnt remains of the house for around 45 minutes. When Jessica asked about Oakley, Jordan and Andrew told her that she was in her room for a timeout. Fourteen days later, Jessica went back to Oakley's home to drop off more supplies, and during her five-minute visit this time, Jessica saw three children none of whom was Oakley. 
Jessica told Never Seen Again that a few days after that second visit, some teachers at the school told her they were concerned that something bad was going on in Jordan and Andrew's house. Jessica took the teacher's concerns seriously and decided to try and gather some more information. After coming up with a game plan, she set up a playdate for her daughter and Oakley's six-year-old sister, Abby. On Saturday, December 4th, two days before what should have been Oakley's fifth birthday, the play date went down. After the girls went swimming, they headed back to Jessica's place, and as they sat on the couch, Abby started talking about how one of her siblings always followed her around. Sensing the perfect opportunity to get more information, Jessica asked, does Oakley do that too? Zero percent of Jessica could have ever been prepared for what Abby said next. Abby looked at Jessica and said, there is no Oakley. Jessica tried to stay calm and asked, what do you mean? But Abby became distraught. She curled up into a ball in the corner of the couch and started shaking. All Jessica could do in that moment was sit next to her and tell her that it would all be okay. She didn't try to push it any further. Jessica told Never Seen Again that the following morning, Abby told Jessica that Oakley had gone back to live with her foster family because she was so bad. That didn't sound right to Jessica, so when she got a free moment, she called the sheriff and asked if Oakley was back with her foster parents. The sheriff said no, she was not. At that point, Jessica knew for sure that something was up, so she asked Jordan if Abby could stay one more night, even though it was a school night, and of course, Jordan said yes. The next day, Monday, December 6th, which just so happened to be Oakley's fifth birthday, Jessica and the girls went to school. As soon as classes started, Jessica called the sheriff's office and asked them to conduct a welfare check on Oakley. Jessica told the sheriff's office that Andrew Jordan and their children had temporarily moved into a hotel, and it's unclear when they finally made the move out of the burnt house, but whenever it happened, it was way later than it should have been. At around 10 a.m. that morning, officers made their way to the hotel and made contact with Andrew and Jordan. Officers immediately noticed that Oakley was not in the room. The only child present was two-year-old Aaron. The Chronicle reported that when officers asked Jordan where Oakley was, Jordan told them Oakley is with her mom. The officers followed that up with, aren't you Oakley's mom? Jordan had been caught in a lie and had no other option but to say yes. Officers asked Andrew where Oakley was, but he didn't have an answer. After he was asked a second time, Andrew suddenly knew. He said that she was with his father, Fred, you know, the grandfather that hadn't seen Oakley since Oakley's grandmother called CPS after their Christmas visit. Officers told Andrew they needed Fred's phone number and address, but of course, Andrew initially said that he didn't have either. He didn't have the address nor the phone number of his own parent, whom he'd been with at Christmas 11 months prior. He quickly realized that he, too, was caught in the dumbest lie ever, so he gave the officers the information. Officers called Fred to check on Oakley, but Fred told them that he didn't have her. Then Fred dropped a bombshell on the officers, something we already know, that he hadn't seen Oakley in almost a year. Officers returned to the hotel to talk with Andrew and Jordan, who were immediately separated. When speaking with Andrew, officers informed him that Oakley wasn't with Fred. After hearing that information, Andrew did not act surprised. It was as if he already knew that. Hold your gasps, I know you're shocked. 
According to a police report, when given the same information, and I quote, Jordan's demeanor was one of anger. She became enraged, yelling, clenching her fists, and refused to answer any further questions about the welfare or well-being of her daughter. She yelled, I'm not going to answer any of your questions, before she went back into the hotel room. The exact opposite of the response you'd expect a mother to have when their daughter is nowhere to be found. As officers left the parking lot, they noticed Jordan and Andrew's vehicle. Although they had three children between the ages of two and six, there was only one car seat installed. Officers stayed nearby to keep an eye on Jordan and Andrew, and at 3.30 p.m., they watched as the couple left the hotel room with two-year-old Aaron. Officers followed them to their burnt house. Once they were all at the house, officers once again spoke with Jordan and Andrew. Jordan was so uncooperative that she was arrested for obstructing a police officer. According to a police report, during Andrew's interview, he reportedly made statements to the effect of Oakley being dead or not coming back for a reunion. He was also booked into jail. Andrew and Jordan were both held on suspicion of first-degree manslaughter. The Independent reported that once Andrew and Jordan were in custody, officers figured out that 10 minutes after they left the hotel, after their first contact with police, one of them factory reset their phone. Whichever one of them did that wasn't specifically named in the article. A factory reset is a whole commitment and wipes literally everything off your phone. You no longer have apps. You don't even have your contacts. Officers obtained a warrant to search Andrew and Jordan's residence and property. I specify property because, like we mentioned in the last episode, it was massive. 300 acres of very dense woods and sporadic fields. A police report stated that a search of the home revealed clothing and toys for all of the children except Oakley. It was also noted that they found blood spatter on the blinds near the front door, on the front door, and a handprint on the hallway in the downstairs hallway. The report doesn't specify whether or not the handprint was in blood, but let's remember that this search was done after the fire. Anyone who touched a wall in that house would have likely left a handprint in the soot, so for this specific handprint to be singled out, it makes me think that there was something significant about it. The Chronicle reported that a fire investigator was called in to look over the damage from the November fire. They determined that the fire likely started from the microwave on the kitchen counter and not from the couch as Jordan and Andrew had claimed. That being said, I'm not totally sure how they came to that conclusion. Obviously, I'm not a fire investigator, but there are photos of the fire's aftermath, and one of them includes the microwave. It seems almost untouched with a crap ton of stuff sitting on top of it, and even a white ring around where it looks like it might have shielded the wall from soot. The couch, on the other hand, is obliterated. It clearly seems to be the most deeply burned item in the house. While officers searched the residence and property, Oakley's siblings were being interviewed. A police report noted that at first, six-year-old Abby told the interviewer that she does not have a sister. She later changed her mind and said Oakley was her sister, but she hadn't seen her in a long time. After saying that, Abby was quiet for a minute, then told the interviewer that her mom told her not to talk about Oakley. 
Abby added that Oakley had gone out into the woods and had been eaten by wolves. When the interviewer asked if Oakley was hurt, Abby didn't respond and started to cry. Even though this is ridiculous and I would hope that a child being eaten by wolves would be reported to literally anyone, the police, EMS, the Pope, I did some research on wolves in Washington and found a literal wolf pack map. There were zero wolf packs documented in Oakville. Eric Hiles told Never Seen Again that he believes the children were told Oakley was eaten by the big bad wolf because she was bad, which there are no words for. A police report stated that Jordan's nine-year-old son from a previous relationship, who we'll call Ben, told law enforcement that he sometimes saw Jordan beat Oakley with a belt and put Oakley in the closet, possibly under a stairwell. Ben told officers that he had been worried about Oakley starving. I looked online to see if I could find any plans of the Carlson home to see the mentioned closet under the stairs, but it was built in 1916, and there's nothing but aerial photos of the property. According to the Charlie Project, nine-year-old Ben also mentioned the November fire and said that when it happened, everyone got out of the house except Oakley. Add that to the growing list of stories about what happened to her. Hey guys, snacking is a way of life for me. Some people like long walks on the beach or hiking mountains, but me, I like to snack. I like to find a good snack, then try and find the elevated version of said snack, and then find the boss level of that snacky snack. I'm always looking for ways to level up my snacking experience, and I've found that with Nuts.com. Nuts.com is your one-stop shop for freshly roasted nuts, dried fruit, sweets, pantry staples, like specialty flowers, and more. Their huge selection means there is something for everyone, and in my case, lots of somethings. Nuts.com offers plenty of gluten-free options, organic choices, and other diet-friendly products. Whether you're looking for something sweet, savory, or need to stock up on everyday cooking essentials, you're bound to find something to try. And at Nuts.com, quality is a top priority. They roast their nuts and pop their corn the same day it ships, so don't worry, no stale nastiness for you. Satisfaction is guaranteed. A couple of my favorite Nuts.com goodies are their honey sesame sticks because I have never met a sesame stick I didn't love, and their honey mustard pretzel pieces are out of this world. Day changers. They always come fresh and full of flavor, and I love how there's always something new for me to try when I want to switch things up, like those chocolate covered gummy bears that I just discovered. Shop a la carte anytime or opt into hassle free auto deliveries so you never run out of your favorite items. And if you're already stocked up at home, they also sell directly to businesses. Right now, nuts.com is offering new customers a free gift with purchase and free shipping on orders of $29 or more at nuts.com slash big mad. So go check out all the delicious options at nuts.com slash big mad. You'll receive a free gift and free shipping when you spend $29 or more. That's nuts.com slash big mad. While authorities scrambled to try and locate Oakley, Jamie Jo got a call from DCYF asking once again if she had seen Oakley. She, for the second time, said that she hadn't. 
They then had the nerve to ask if Jamie, Joe, and Eric would be willing to take in Oakley's two-year-old brother, Aaron, and Oakley once she was located. Of course, the Hiles said they would take both of them in and were overjoyed at the prospect of getting their Oakley back. Jamie Jo told Nancy Grace that she immediately went out and started buying things that Aaron and Oakley would need once they got to her house. The Hiles told Never Seen Again that they were under the impression that DCYF would find Oakley quickly. They thought maybe she was with a family member or worst case scenario, Jordan and Andrew had taken Oakley and were evading police. It never occurred to them that Oakley wouldn't be found. According to an interview with Nancy Grace, Jamie Jo got the terrifying news and a phone call from a friend while she was shopping at Target. When the Hiles were notified that Andrew and Jordan had been arrested on suspicion of manslaughter, they could not believe it. Their worst fear in the world of worlds had come true. It became too difficult for them to care for Oakley's little brother, Aaron, so he was placed in foster care along with his sister, Abby. Jordan and Andrew's children from previous relationships once again stayed with their respective biological parents. On December 7th, the day after Oakley should have turned nine, the sheriff's office, FBI, state patrol, and other agencies continued an extensive search of the 300-acre property. They brought in divers and aerial support and later widened their search to surrounding areas, but they couldn't find Oakley or her body anywhere. The sheriff's office reached out to the public for help, stating, Detectives consider the circumstances surrounding the child's disappearance as suspicious. The parents, Jordan Bowers and Andrew Carlson of Oakville, are considered persons of interest at this time. The parents are currently in custody at the Grays Harbor County Jail. Justice for Oakley reports that through their investigation, officers were able to determine that the last credible sighting of Oakley was on February 10th of 2021 when CPS went to the house. That's 299 days prior to when investigators realized she was missing. 299 days. The Independent further reported that investigators have yet to find any evidence that Oakley was alive after the family was displaced by the fire on November 6. Before December 7th was over, Abby's temporary foster parents asked law enforcement about medication prescribed for the six-year-old. They hadn't received the medication and needed to give it to her. Investigators looked into the medication and found that Abby hadn't received it for 15 months. On December 9th, the 72-hour hold for suspicion of manslaughter was coming to an end. Authorities didn't have enough to file formal charges, so they decided to charge Jordan and Andrew with abandonment of a dependent person in the second degree, which stemmed from them not giving Abby her medication for 15 months. The other charges against Jordan and Andrew were dropped due to lack of evidence. Dropping those charges meant investigators could conduct a more thorough investigation into Oakley's disappearance, which would hopefully lead to further charges down the line. Just four days later, on December 13th, authorities announced the search of the family's house and property and surrounding areas 
was over. I don't think I've ever seen a quicker search of 300 acres. The undersheriff told KIRO that during their seven-day search, crews had done everything they could. He said, if there's burn piles, we're going through the burn piles. If there's any fresh dirt, we're looking in the fresh dirt. Any crawl spaces, enclosed spaces, we're checking everything we can possibly do. The search at the residence is complete and she was not located. The undersheriff added, detectives are still actively investigating this case. There are no other searches underway at this point. On December 15th, Oakley's paternal grandparents, Fred and Kate Carlson, whom officers stated helped with the investigation, released the following statement. The Carlson family have been and continue to be fully cooperating with this investigation. Our only objective is to find our granddaughter Oakley. We're praying that Oakley will be found soon and also for the multitude of good people working around the clock to make that happen. We ask that the media respect our privacy during this very difficult time and we do not wish to make any further statements for now. Thank you. I want to reiterate here that Fred and Kate have fully cooperated with this investigation. Justice for Oakley reports that on December 30th, Jordan and Andrew appeared in court for allegedly not providing medication to Abby. Although this hearing had nothing to do with Oakley, prosecutors did bring her up. They alleged that Jordan and Andrew clearly know what happened to the five-year-old child and they're not saying anything. Many of Oakley's supporters, known as Oakley's Angels, showed up to Jordan and Andrew's court appearance. Jamie Joe told King 5 News that the point of the demonstrations is to let Jordan and Andrew know that Oakley's Angels are there and they're not going anywhere. To this day, they continue to show up to every court hearing. On January 20th of this year, 2022, authorities added some new charges. They charged Andrew and Jordan with two counts of endangerment with a controlled substance. After finding out that Abby hadn't received her medication, DCYF obtained both Abby and her little brother Aaron's hair follicles. According to Justice for Oakley, testing showed substantial amounts of methamphetamine in both children, indicating they were exposed to the drug in the last three months. Andrew and Jordan both pled not guilty. On January 29th, demonstrators held a rally outside of Grace Harbor County Jail. They were demanding answers from Jordan. Standing in the parking lot, they chanted, make her talk, tell us where Oakley is. One of the demonstrators was Jordan's nine-year-old son, Ben. He told the Chronicle, I feel like I want some justice. I want my mom to tell us where she is finally. At the demonstration, the Chronicle asked Jamie Joe if she thought Oakley was still alive. She answered, I think that there's always going to be that little part of me that is going to believe that she's out there, even though I might think otherwise. Like, maybe my gut tells me that she's not here with us anymore, but I still want to have that push. In February, Jamie Joe filed a complaint on behalf of Oakley with the Office of Family and Children Ombudsman, an organization that, according to their website, oversees child-serving agencies with independence, impartiality, and confidentiality. That same month, Light the Way, Missing Persons Advocacy Project, started a weekly email and phone campaign to contact Governor Inslee, Attorney General Ferguson, Washington legislators, and DCYF leadership to request an immediate outside agency review of Oakley's DCYF case. To this day, the campaign continues every Thursday. 
On March 14th, Andrew entered into a plea deal where he pled guilty to two counts of endangerment with a controlled substance. As part of the deal, the abandonment charge was dropped. Two weeks later, Andrew's sentencing hearing was held. KIRO reported that when asked if he had anything to say, Andrew told the court, I deeply regret my failings as a father. I haven't done a lot of things correctly in the last seven years or so. He did not tell anyone what happened to Oakley or where she was. The judge said that the charges were tragic, especially considering Andrew was a former police officer. He knew the dangers of methamphetamine around children, yet he did nothing to protect his own. The judge told Andrew, it's a father's job to protect their children. You certainly failed in that. Andrew was sentenced to 12 whole months in jail. KXRO reported that the negotiated sentence was between 6 and 12 months. The judge could have gone over the 12 months, but she didn't because Andrew didn't have a prior record. In addition to the jail sentence, the judge ruled that Andrew must not have unsupervised contact with anyone under the age of 18, with the exception of his biological children, an exception that feels like it defeats any of the purpose. On April 8th, Jordan also pled guilty to two counts of endangerment with a controlled substance. As part of her plea deal, her abandonment charge was dropped as well. Two weeks later, Jordan's sentencing hearing was held. King 5 News reported that the prosecution and defense had negotiated a 15-month sentence, but the judge chose to up it to 20 months due to Jordan's previous criminal history, dating all the way back to 2005. Charges include hit-and-run, disorderly conduct, DUI, fraudulent use of a credit card, and theft. And just like Andrew, Jordan wouldn't be allowed to be around any children under the age of 18, with the exception of her biological children. Again, an exception that seems to defeat any purpose of having a stipulation at all. They couldn't be around anyone else's children, but their own, the ones their charges were in reference to, were fine. Over the next few months, Eric and Jamie Joe continued fighting for justice for Oakley. They met with the ombudsman multiple times, continued sending letters and emails, talking to the media, and everything else they could possibly do. They also held Paint the Night Pink, an auction and dinner for Oakley that raised nearly $50,000 for her reward fund. On August 3rd, Andrew was released from jail after serving less than nine months for child endangerment charges. By court order, he was scheduled to undergo a chemical dependency evaluation and come up with a treatment plan before a hearing on September 12th. On September 9th, ombudsman released a report regarding their investigation into how DCYF handled Oakley's case. In a shocking decision, the report cleared DCYF of any wrongdoing in their handling of Oakley's case. The report stated the investigation included a full review of all relevant records and documents and interviews with individuals with direct involvement or information about the department's handling of this case, stating our investigation particularly focused on family reunification efforts, permanency planning, and the department's response to any identifiable child safety or risk factors prior to and after Oakley was returned home. We found that the department's actions and conduct in this case were consistent with laws, policies, and court orders. Our investigation, however, identified opportunities to improve services to families and specifically to preserve and strengthen the parent-child bond when a child is removed from the home. 
family time or parent-child visits are critical to promoting bonding, attachment, healthy child development, and successful family reunification. Our elected officials and agency leaders must ensure that adequate resources are dedicated to family time services so that parents and children receive the maximum visitation possible. Furthermore, reunification planning should not only focus on parents' successful compliance with services, but should also address parent-child bonding and attachment issues. We have documented the issues and findings raised in this investigation and will include them in our annual report to the governor and to the legislature. If you are at a complete loss for words at this point, you are not alone. Jamie Jo told NW News that she's concerned DCYF has become so focused on reunification of families that the agency has lost sight of its core mission. She added that she hopes something good can come out of Oakley's case. She said, I think she can really save some kids' lives. Hopefully DCYF can reform and really focus on what they're meant to do, and that's, you know, protecting children. I'm pretty sure we can all agree with literally everything Jamie Jo just said. On September 12th, Andrew was a no-show to his chemical dependency review hearing. Shocking, I know. The judge issued a bench warrant. After Andrew showed up to the courthouse, the warrant was quashed or voided, and he was scheduled for another hearing. A few weeks later, Andrew gave the judge paperwork showing he completed treatment in August. However, he still hadn't completed an evaluation or treatment plan. He was ordered to complete them within a week. On October 3rd, Andrew was found to be in compliance with the judge's orders. However, the judge said she would continue to monitor his compliance. That was the last update we have regarding Andrew and Jordan. As of this recording, Jordan is still incarcerated and Andrew appears to still be in compliance with the judge's orders. The investigation into Oakley's disappearance is still ongoing with the help of the FBI. A member of law enforcement told Never Seen Again that they hope to find Oakley alive. However, and I quote, unfortunately, based on the circumstances of the case, they're not sure that that will be the outcome that they receive. Jordan and Andrew remain suspects in Oakley's disappearance. Investigators are still working on gathering enough evidence to bring forth charges, and they're hoping to speak to anyone who saw Oakley in the year of 2021. As a reminder, the last credible sighting of Oakley was on February 10th of 2021. Investigators have yet to find any evidence that Oakley was alive after the family was displaced by the fire on November 6th. They want to fill in any possible gaps between those two dates. In February of 2021, Oakley was a four-year-old girl standing three feet tall and weighing 50 pounds. She has brown hair and brown eyes, and there is currently an $85,000 reward for information leading to the whereabouts of Oakley Carlson. Anyone with information is asked to call Detective Sergeant Paul Logan at 360-964-1729 or by email at sodetectives at co.grays-harbor.wa.us or call Crime Stoppers at 800-222-8477. Of course, I will list all of those in the show notes. If you don't have any tips to share, you can still help Oakley by sharing her story and her flyers, which are available in English and Spanish on the Justice for Oakley website. You can also donate to the Reward Fund, join the Facebook group Oakley Carlson, Oakville, Washington, and ask your favorite news channel or podcast to cover Oakley's story. 
I want to end this episode by reading a portion of a letter Jamie Jo wrote to Oakley. It says, I know that I didn't give birth to you, but I wish I did. You were everything I'd ever dreamed of having in a child. Daddy and I wished and waited so long for a baby, and even though you came to us in an unconventional way, I loved you like you were my own biological child. I loved when strangers would tell us that we had the same smile because it meant that people thought I could have even an ounce of your beauty. I will never forgive myself for not protecting you more when you went back to your biological parents. I thought I was doing everything by calling CPS and making reports to DCYF, but it didn't save you. And for that, I am sorry. If I could mail this letter to you, I'd want you to know that you're making waves and that so many people are taking action. People in our little town, our state, and around the world know who you are and are thinking of you, praying for you, and doing everything in their power to make sure you're found, and that this doesn't happen again. I knew that you'd be influential someday. I just wish it wasn't breaking our hearts in the process. Thank you for loving us, and I promise you that we will do everything we can to bring you justice and to protect your siblings. Love, your mama. For all photos pertaining to Oakley's case, check out her highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley. If you love the podcast, feel free to leave a review. And if you have a case you'd like to hear covered, share it with Big Mad True Crime on social media. All cases are covered by listener request. I'll be bringing you a brand new case on Monday, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out.